All right, good evening, everybody. Hope you had a good day. Tonight we're going to be in Romans 10, if you want to turn there. Romans 10. As Paul last week described the current condition of Israel, having rejected their Messiah, he now moves to, um, not only do they still need the gospel, the good news, but they also have um, competition through the Gentiles, which is by God's design. Um, and then, of course, next week we're going to, we'll move into more about Israel. They're not forgotten. They're not done. God uh, makes it very clear in chapter 11 that they, they have not been replaced by the church, but the church is used as a tool in Israel's life. We're used as a tool in Israel's life. Very important to understand that. There was a time um, when Israel wasn't a nation, um, they had been scattered. It wasn't until recently, it's, it's pretty recent history-wise, after World War II, that Israel became a nation again. And so there's a lot of things taught, or you know how we like to fill in the gaps. When we read the Bible, we can't make things work out in our minds, so we just kind of, okay, well then there's a lot of open spaces here, so if I put this thought into these things, that makes sense. So Israel's not a nation anymore for a very long period of time. And as the church is reading the scriptures, they're trying to figure out how all these prophecies that have never been fulfilled for Israel, how could that be? Because God always fulfills his promises. Well, they thought it must be that the church has replaced Israel. And all those promises, are just it's, it's God's new family. You know, that's where replacement theology comes from. And a lot of people still teach it. And, I, and I, don't, I don't fault them for coming up with stuff like that sometimes. You know, I do the same thing in my own mind. I, I got to get my mind around it now. And so I'll kind of fill in the gaps. But you always have to leave room for being wrong. You've got to leave room. When it's not spelled out in God's word, when it's not absolutely uh, clear as a bell, you've got to be wrong sometimes. And that's okay. The problem is when we refuse to admit that we're wrong and we go on to teach it, even after Israel becomes a nation again, that doctrine should have been thrown out a long time ago. Oh my goodness, boy, we were way off there, weren't we? Too many books were written. Too many churches were established. Too many seminaries built their foundation upon this. We can't get rid of that lie. We'll just carry it on. And that's where anti-Semitism comes from inside the church at times, because that can't be. They can't be a nation. They can't be a player in the end times when as soon as they became a nation again, most people with a heart for God and his word should have been like, whoa, that's amazing. That's happening. That makes revelation make sense now. And uh, I get it. You know, it should have been really, and it was for a lot of Christians. It really was. But for the prideful, for the folks that are never wrong, for the astute the professors, whoever it might be, they still hold on to that replacement theology. And that's why God, his word is so perfect, he planned for theological gaffes like that. He writes it all out for it, you know? So when we make a mistake, he says, I told you you were going to think that, and then I told you you were going to be wrong, and then I told you you were going to come back to me, and I told you some of you, you know, and he tells us all this stuff. And that's what this Romans 10 and 11 and so on are all about. And sometimes in Corinthians and other books, he describes exactly what's happened to us. 
So I guess the the proverb for tonight, if we were going to write our own proverb at Calvary Chapels, give yourself room to be wrong. And don't be so prideful that you can't say it, you know, that you can't say it. Anyway, chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul still thought there was an option here. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That's a pretty good statement for someone who got beat by these guys on a regular basis. I don't think I would have had anything of these guys. I would have started replacement theology right there as Paul. I would have been like, yep, you guys have missed the boat. Keep beating me. See you? Well, I won't see you in hell, but I won't see you in heaven. That's what, that's, you know, I would have started it right then because I'm a vindictive kind of guy. Paul, thank goodness, had such a heart, and that's the difference. Had such a heart and a desire for Israel to be saved that he actually spent time in prayer for them, hours in prayer for them, because Paul was a prayer. So when he says, when he makes it, when he says it out loud, I prayed, you know that that was a lot of time on his knees. His heart's desire matched up with his actions, and that's going to be kind of a theme here tonight. He had a heart's desire, and he wrote it down, but that's not enough. He actually did something about it. He actually got on his knees and prayed. Actually did something that, you know, all oh, those, poor, those poor, poor people, they're so poor. I hate that. I wrote a letter to my mom about how upset I was about how poor they were. What'd you do? Nothing. Just really feel bad about them. Well, you must not feel that bad, you know, kind of thing. Paul had such a heart's desire that he prayed for Israel to get saved. He desired them. In fact, last week, remember, he said, uh, if, 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 it, if it would benefit them, if they could get saved by me being separated from Christ, I'd do it. If they needed me to jump into hell to get them out, I'd do it. Of course, it was, it was a foolish argument. I mean, not that he's a fool, but he can't add to what Christ has done. But that was his heart for the nation of Israel, for his people. And I think I do have that heart for people that are close to me, for people I know. I do have that heart for the lost. I don't mean to make myself out to be some evil guy. I'm not. I, I want people to, to go to heaven, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll strive for it, and I'll pray for them. And I think those closest to me, I could honestly say, you bet. You bet I'd jump into hell if that would save them. But I know that's a foolish argument. I know that I can't add to anything that Christ done. They have to accept Christ personally. So I have that same zeal that Paul does, and I do pray for those folks. And I think God has people like that in all of our lives. I think that's important as Christians. Why do those people matter to me so much? Why am I always thinking about them? Why am I so concerned with what they're doing? I mean, hey, it's their choice. But you do, and you have that heart, and you need to act upon it, because I don't know if anybody else is going to. Maybe nobody else has that same heart for that person as you do. I don't know why I have a heart for this person. I just do or this people group. But I just do. And you know what? You've probably tried looking around to see if there's anybody else that's like-minded. Does anybody else see what I'm seeing? Does anybody else feel this way about the thing I'm feeling about? You know, and, you, and, you look, and, and there isn't anybody. And, they're all like, and your first reaction might be, come on, let's all get together on this and go forward on this huge campaign, this big thing, you know? God doesn't need everybody else to join you. You just do it. If it's on your heart to do, you just do it. It's amazing what God can do with just one person who's completely his and wants to do it. That's all you need. It's just you and God. 
that's plenty. He, he owns everything, so you've got your supplies. Now he just needs someone to go distribute, you know, the gospel, stuff, food, whatever it may be, love, compassion, wisdom, whatever it is that you have to offer, you just go take it to him. And what's interesting is everybody has a different group, a different person that's on their mind, and if we all just do what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do, man, he can get a lot accomplished. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go. It's to your advantage that I leave. Because if I don't go, the Father's not going to send the Holy Spirit. But if I do go, I am gonna, he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you'll be doing things like I've been doing things. Greater works than these you're going to see. And now we know why and what he means. It's multiplication, ministry. So Paul has this heart's desire for Israel. I'm not sure anybody else did. They're not with him. Or if they are, they don't stay with him very long. But he does. And look what he accomplishes. Just one man who has a zeal for this people group. He starts churches and goes into every synagogue all over this area. Amazing. He acknowledges that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they're ignorant. He says so much. For they, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's their fault. That's their problem. Paul just nails it. They have a zeal for God. Paul definitely had a zeal for God, didn't he? Putting people in prison, killing Stephen. He had a zeal for God. He was, he, and they even said that. People think they're going to offer God's service by killing you. That's going to happen to us Christians one day. People are going to think that they're actually serving God by killing you bigoted, narrow-minded people that follow Jesus. They're going to think that. Paul thought the same thing. He had that same zeal. He got papers. He was more zealous than everybody. I'm going to go and actually do something about this rebellion that's rising up in the Jewish nation. This church thing, it's going to get squashed, and I'm the squasher. And he went around putting people in prison and killing them, and Stephen was the start. So he knows something about zeal without knowledge, but he got knowledge. He got Jesus. There's a lot of people with a lot of different causes out there. I don't think we could wear all the bracelets with all the colors or all the pins and all the ribbons. My car be plastered if I put all the magnets on the back of my car I'm supposed to have. And, and they're, all, they're all, well, not all. A lot of them are good. They're worthy. They're, they're, they're important, but they're not as important. There, there isn't a cause out there. There isn't a, a pin, a lapel thing, a, a ribbon, a magnet that can even compare or even come into second place to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. None of it compares. They have a zeal. They're spending a lot of energy. We're spending a lot of money on things that I have knowledge. We all have knowledge. The book has been written. I I know how this turns out. And it's noble that you want to spend a lot of time getting those things and doing that thing. But I... It's not going to matter. Right here tells me it's not going to matter eventually. But what does matter is the heart, the spirit, uh, eternity. Because that's all that goes on to the next life. Everything else you're worried about here doesn't matter. And I think it's important as Christians we have that knowledge. Paul's going to talk more about that. That knowledge of God, that knowledge of the future, that knowledge of God's word, the scriptures. Knowing who he is gives us a biblical worldview 
It gives us a Jesus worldview and helps us to see things as they should be seen. The news as it should be seen and heard. Actions, events, geopolitical problems all over the earth should be seen through Christian Jesus-loving eyes and that helps us understand what's happening and we can respond appropriately, which is why you're here to learn God's word so we can get into it and know it a little bit better so that we do have the right perspective, that we're not caught off on tangents or taken off by tangents off of the true focus. And so he says that. They've got a zeal for God, but it's, it's misplaced. It's misguided. They don't have the right information. They're running in the wrong direction. They're fighting the wrong battles. They're shooting themselves in the foot. They're actually doing more harm than good. I remember when we were out in California, there was a missing boy out in the San Bernardino Mountains. Terrible situation there. And we heard about it on the news and they had the, they had the pros out there, the rescuers with the dogs and everything like that. And I got excited. I thought, come on, let's do something about this. So I called up my commander. You don't do that. I just called him up and said, hey, this is, I think at the time I was PFC. PFC Dirks with so-and-so and all this. And I said, I'd, I'd like to volunteer to go help find this kid well, what's he going to say? You know, he says, well, let me think about it. Let me see what's going on. And then pretty soon it came down the pipe like it's supposed to, not from the ground up, but from the top down. Hey, we're going to get a platoon and we're going to go up in the San Bernardino Mountains. We're actually going to go do this thing. So we brought our tent. We got our Humvees. We all drove up there. And I tell you what, as we're walking around in this big, long line of jarheads, <clears throat> tromping through the woods, I'm thinking, you know what? We're doing more harm than good. We're going over scents. We're going over trails. We're... You know, we're, 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 we're trampling over with good intentions. We really wanted to find this kid, but we were a mob of just crushing, ruining any evidence kind of guys. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. And so, well, we stopped or, you know, well, eventually we stopped, but I think they just kept us where they had thoroughly covered the area and we were just basically walking in a line, picking up anything we could find. But we were nowhere near where they really thought he was. I'm pretty sure. I'm hoping that was the case. It was one of those moments. It was kind of an eye-opener. This was a mistake. We're not helping anybody here. We're actually probably going to do harm by crushing any evidence or any kind of cloth or scent the dogs could have picked up on. You know, Zeal, it was right. The mindset was right, but without knowledge. You know. And so Paul calls him on that. You're ignorant of God's righteousness. You're seeking to establish your own righteousness. And so because you're doing that, because you're focused on your own righteousness, you're not submitting to the righteousness of God. Christ came to give us his righteousness. You can't earn it. You can't make it. The law has one thing and one thing only. All it can do is make you guilty. I know we say that all the time, but we've really got to get our mind around it. You can never undo crime. You can't undo crime. It's done. You can stop doing more crime, you can do less crime. You can stop crime altogether, but it doesn't do any good for the things you've already committed, the things you've already done. The law can only tell you you've broken the law, but it never tells you way to go. Good job. You're keeping the law. It just tells you when you've broken it. That's all the law can do. And the Jews got to, it into their head somehow that they could work off their sins or... Um, it was, a, it was either a competition between my neighbor Bob and my neighbor Jim 
And who's better? And if I'm better than they are, then I'm going to heaven for sure, which that doesn't work out well because Bob and Jim are doing the same thing you are. And how much better? Or if I do more good works, maybe that'll, maybe that'll knock off some of those bad things, you know, good, good behavior kind of thing. I can get off on good behavior. And so because they were so busy about that, trying to establish their own righteousness, they, they didn't see what was right in front of them, the beauty of the righteousness being given to them in Christ. They had not accepted God's righteousness. They wanted their own. In verse 5 it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. That's a pretty bold statement for Moses. If you do all the law perfectly, you will live. You can go to heaven when you do all the law perfectly, but we don't. And he's not even talking about sincerity. You can sincerely try to do all the law perfectly. And if you sincerely try, then you're going to go to heaven. No, you have to do them perfectly. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. That's what the law says. Do everything perfectly all the time, never failing. You can go to heaven. But the righteousness of faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It doesn't say those things. It doesn't say that he's far away. It doesn't say that you have to go find him, swim the the, the deepest ocean, climb the highest hill. It doesn't have to do any of that thing. Don't say that about Christ. Don't say that about the gospel. It can't be difficult. That's not what it says. Here's what it does say. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel right there. That's it. I want you to notice what's there and I want you to notice what's not there. It's just as important. Paul is making it very clear. All you have to do is confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. It's so close. It's right in your mouth. It's right there. You ever say that? You ever have that? Ex- oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. When my mom would used to say that, I'd say, stick out your tongue. Let me see if I can read it. It was a funny gag that she didn't think it was funny. I thought it was hilarious at seven. I would say that all the time. That's what Paul's saying. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not that you don't know what to say. It's in your mouth. Open it. Let it out. All you have to do is confess. All you have to do is believe. And those that do will be saved. What's not there? I'm not even going to... There are so many things that aren't there that we make need to be there. <laughs> we, well, they, you must, well, what that really means is... And, 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 we write addendums to this verse, and it's not there. Paul's making a very clear statement. It can't be hard. You need to be able to receive Christ in a vegetative state, quietly in your own mind with nobody ever seeing it. You need to be able to be able to accept it. It has to be that simple. It has to be that easy. It has to be that spiritual. Your heart to God's heart. That's the only two people involved in this conversation. I confess that you are, it's not to you guys. I don't say, I confess that he is Lord. I confess that you are Lord. It's a conversation between me and him. It's a conversation between everybody and him. And then you believe in your heart. You can't just say it. It's not an incantation. It's not a spell. 
You can't just say the right words. You can't just go through the ritual. It needs to be believed. And I believe, and I know, that that has to come first. You have to believe first before you can actually say it. You can't say it and hope to believe later. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and that's it. It's got to be internal. It has to be personal, and it has to be between you and him. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Heart first. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe you died for my sins. And then I confess it. That's when I open my mouth to say what's on my heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's all it says. It's all that's there. I just try not to put too fine a point on this, but my goodness, please get this. Please share this with people. It can't be any more complicated. My four-year-old needs to know how to do this. My three-year-old, my two-year-old, I don't even want to put an age limit on it. Anybody that can comprehend that God is God and they are not and that they need him for salvation, it has to be that simple. It isn't the version that we read. It isn't the amount of water that we use for baptism or baptism at all. It isn't about circumcision. It isn't about the denomination you belong to. It isn't about the chairs you're sitting in. It isn't about the amount of money that you give. It isn't, none of that's there. It's simply believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. And he who believes on him will not be put to shame. That's supposed to bring reassurance to us. That's supposed to solidify it in our hearts. That's all I needed to do. I I can put that to rest in my mind. I can be at peace. I can live my life for him now, knowing that that's secured. That's water under the bridge. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Huh. I laugh because that's good news. And that's how the gospel is supposed to be. That's what it means. The gospel is good news. It's so beautiful, so simple, so, but so powerful and so, I don't know, comprehensive. That's the word I like to use. It's not complicated, but it's comprehensive. It's all, it covers everything, you know. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means whoever can call. Everybody's able to call. Paul wouldn't say that if it wasn't possible. This, this helps us with chapter 9 a little bit, with the absolute predestination, the absolute sovereignty that God has, which is absolutely true. But then we have this other side, this 10, where Paul, and even at the end of 9, where Paul says, but you're responsible to respond, and you can, because anybody can, because he died for the world. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means everybody can. And they must, or it's not effective. Keep that balance in your own lives, that God is absolutely beautiful and perfect and sovereign and huge. He is. I mean, nothing happens without his knowing, right? We got that. But we also have this personal responsibility to respond in love to our God who loved us first. How then... 
shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Paul obviously wants us to go backwards. He's trying to teach the Romans something. Look, the end result is great, but we've got some things we need to do here. There's some things that are a part of us, our responsibility. First, we need to send out preachers. (laughs) Then those preachers need to preach. And then those who are listening need to actually hear so that they can believe. And that's how the gospel is spread. Missionaries, whether that's your backyard. I remember... um, I remember being at this place called the Petersons. I don't know, I don't remember. They were friends of my family, my parents, not my friends. I, I didn't even, their boys were mean. Ooh, mean kids. Gee whiz. Older, five years, 10 years older than us and just mean. But we were at their house, that's all I remember, for some other reason. And the neighbors were having this little thing in their backyard. And we went to it because we were bored. The parents were just sitting around doing their thing. And I'm like, oh. This is so boring. So we went off. They said, the neighbors are doing this thing. Come on over, come over. So we went over there, and they had this little carnival going on in their backyard. I was like, oh, that's how I saw it. It's a little carnival. And they had little rubber bouncy balls, you know, by the bag full. It didn't matter which duck we picked up. We always got something. I mean, it was awesome. You never lost. They had those pens that had like 12 different colors. And I came home with this loot. I came home with a bag full of stuff. I'm like, that was great. And everything on there said, Jesus loves you. I just remember that just now. That was not a part of the plan tonight. I wonder how many of those memories are back there. I wonder how many times God tried to reach out to me throughout my whole life. That just came to me just now. That's amazing. And it wasn't a part of a church. It was just somebody that said, you know what, we're going to reach our neighbor kids. And they went up, probably bought $10 worth of junk from Oriental Trading, probably. It probably wasn't called that at the time. And they had some ducks in a pond, and they put numbers on the bottom of them, and the kids are all into it, and the family's all into it. And you know what? I came away from that place not knowing what had happened to me, but I do now. Now I know, but I didn't then. And, I, and some would say, what a failure. They didn't get the gospel into your heart. Did it? I don't know. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Do you know what I mean? But here I sit. So thankful. Don't wait for a church to do it. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Go do it. I'm not saying you don't. You guys are all like, hey, yeah. You know, I don't know. But you know what? A lot of people just don't know they have the permission to do that kind of stuff. I mean, we could just have a vacation Bible school in our neighborhood. Well, yeah. You're fully capable, completely prepared. You have everything you need and you got maybe five bucks worth of ones, go to Walmart, have some fun, and give the gospel. Do it, you know? Anyway. Sorry, had a moment there. That's, God is so good. Truly is. Anyway, um, I don't even know where I am in his presence. (laughs) So, we got to send people. And you know what? Consider yourself sent. How's that? Um, we are sent. 
And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. Okay, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to increase your faith? It comes by hearing the word of God. We're doing that tonight. How do you trust somebody? That's what faith is. Faith is, I, I believe you and I trust you. Um, um, your kids learn to trust you as parents. Uh, you learn to trust your spouse. Um, they learn to touch, trust their Sunday school teachers. We need to learn how to trust God. And the only way you can do that is by knowing him, by getting to know him. I have a hard time trusting God, you might say. That you don't know him very well. It's, it's, not, it's not a... A criticism, it's, not a, it's just a fact. Because if you knew the God of the universe, you wouldn't have any problem trusting him. I think sometimes we get confused with, I don't trust myself to hear from God. Now, I fall into that category a lot because I, I know that my heart is desperately wicked. And it has its own opinion. <laughs> and that flesh has its own opinion sometimes. So I don't trust myself as far as I can throw myself, which isn't very far as I get older but I do trust God because I know him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You may not believe him yet, but the more you spend hearing from the word of God, and that's what brings us to Christ, the more your faith will increase. I want my faith to increase. I want my trust to increase. I want to believe you more, God. It's a little insulting, but okay. Then hear me. Read my word. Look what I've done for you in the past. That's why as we're going through on Sunday mornings, he keeps reminding them of what he's done. You can trust me on this. Remember, I brought you out of Egypt. You can trust me on this. Remember the Red Sea. Remember, I brought you out of Egypt. He keeps bringing that up so that they know the next thing I'm asking you to do is as good as when I brought you out of Egypt. And we need to have that in our own lives before we can begin to trust him with some of the more important things. Everything, even the little things. As we get to know him, as we get those memories banked, those experiences are in our back pocket. We can trust him more and more because he's followed through more and more. We have more experience to draw from. And so that's what he's saying. Uh, verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, in other words, it may have gone out, but that wasn't the first time they've heard it. Look what Moses says. I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. He's talking about us. <laughs> Moses was writing about us, the Gentiles at this time. I'm going to take this foolish nation. Raise your hand. That's us. Okay. And I'm going to provoke... Je I'm going to provoke them to jealousy. That tells me something right there. And if, you know, if those who brought it, came up with replacement theology had read, he's already compensated for that thought. Well, Israel's not a nation anymore. It doesn't matter. Well, the church, what are we going to do with them? They're by design. They're the foolish nation, but they're too prideful to say it. I'm not too prideful to say it. I'm a foolish man. But if I can bring one Jewish guy or one Jewish gal to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, by them looking at me and saying, if that guy gets saved, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to Jesus. If he can get saved, fine. I'll move you to anger by a foolish nation. He's trying to make them jealous. 
Why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? What do you mean you're going to heaven? How do you have that assurance? What do you mean? We're the Jews. We don't even have that assurance. Yeah, but we have Jesus, you know. He's yours too, just so you know. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. That's us. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. But he's not done with them. He may have some harsh words for them. He may not be happy with the way they're conducting themselves, obviously rejecting his son as their Lord and Savior, but he still has his eye on them, doesn't he? That's what I'm here for. That's what our nation's here for. Think about the situation. Back up into, I don't know how far away from the earth you have to get, but take a look at the world from God's perspective and look at what happened. Who is Israel's greatest ally? This Christian nation. Who's their protector? Who gives them money every single year for their defense? Who, who is their only guard and protector in this whole wide world? It's that Christian nation over there. You are our greatest ally, they say, but inside they've got to be like, you know. How come, how come we always get chosen to be persecuted, they might say, as Jews? How come we're the ones that are always getting picked on by Germany or Russia or whoever's angry with us at the day, you know? Why don't you pick on the United States for a while over there? It's supposed to provoke them to jealousy. It's supposed to show. You, we have, as, as Israel, they've got to look at this and say, you know what, I don't know why, I don't know why they fawn over us like this. Really, what do we, they have to offer us? A lot of wisdom, for sure. Don't misunderstand me. Science and technology from over there is unbelievable, for sure. But we do pretty good over here with that stuff. They've got to wonder, what is the deal? Why are you our friends? Why are you always, we have nothing to give you. You're like, you know, 1,200 times bigger than us. We have no way to help you. We have nothing to send to you, to give you. Well, you can come over and spend your tourism dollars if you want to, but that's still us. What do we have? Nothing. You're God's people. We're blessed to know you. What love is this? See, that's what they're supposed to feel from us as a nation, from Christians. What love is this? This is the love of your Savior, who you rejected, but he still loves you with an everlasting love, and he died on the cross for your sins while you're still enemies, and you still are right now. You know, that's how it's supposed to work. Now, you know why we say that all the time here. We've got to support Israel. It's for the gospel's sake. It's for the end times. It's for the time when we get taken away and they realize the United States is gone, that Christian nation, all those Christians were raptured and taken away in the end times in that final seven-year period that Revelation talks about between chapters 6 and 19 falls down upon the nation of Israel and the whole world is against them and the church has been taken out and they remember, Oy vey, Messiah, Jesus they come to know the Lord through that time. We have a very important role in our older brothers <laughs> coming to know Jesus eventually, Israel. And Paul knows that. And he doesn't want us to forget that either. And I hope we don't forget that tonight. God is still, just like he reaches down and tries to get us saved, he is still reaching out for them as well. And that's where we close tonight, a little early pretty early, but I don't want to add anything else to it or else I'll mess it up. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in your word. Together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we took this Wednesday night. We came here and our kids are getting taught by some wonderful uh, brothers and sisters who love you. They're hearing your word. We got to hear your word tonight. We, we learned a little bit more about you, drawn a little bit closer to you. And uh, we thank you for that. We know that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so every Wednesday, every time we open your word, whether that's at home or here together as a fellowship, we know we're getting closer and closer to you. We're knowing you more and more. Our faith is increasing, which is what we want. So we just, all we can do is thank you. Now, Lord, help us to be um, your sons and daughters here on this earth, to see the world like you see the world, that we would have um, eyes like you have, understanding like you have, um, and help us to have zeal and knowledge, to have the truth, but also have that same zeal. I don't want to just have the truth and sit back on my couch. I want to have that truth, and then I also want to have that same zeal that I had for everything else before I knew you. Help me to have that same kind of passion and desire for you and for your gospel and for people. Give us a love for people. So personally, quietly tonight, I think maybe we'll just take five minutes by ourselves and just pray for those people that you place on our hearts, God. The people that you've placed on our individual hearts to pray for, God, help us to pray for them now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, I want to take this time, I guess, and uh, kind of not selfishly, but I, don't, I want everybody to agree with me, if you will. Um, I want to pray for that family, whoever that was across the street from the Petersons that did that little vacation Bible school in the back of their house, Lord. Um, first of all, thank you for that memory, reminding me, showing me, revealing it to me. Um, I will lift them up to you wherever they are, whatever they're doing, God, would you, would you be with them and bless them? And uh, whatever they have need of, whether that's finances or whether that's uh, um, maybe physical healing or some kind of spiritual, I just want to be spiritual healing or I don't know any, if they're going through any problems or struggles at all or if they just need a a refreshing time with you, God. I pray that you'd bless them abundantly, God. I just want to pray for them and lift them up to you. Whatever they need, God, um, I want to be in agreement with you that you'd supply all their need. And I thank you for them and put them there. And God, let me be that kind of person in someone else's life. I don't care if I'm ever recognized for it or if they ever remember. It doesn't matter, but help me to have, I don't know, that kind of impact on this world. Who would have thunk it? Thank you, God. Lord, bless these guys as they go tonight. Bless our kids, our, our uh, drive home. Some are driving a long distance, some are not. Uh, bless our, our journey, our travels, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.